Uh, well, you know how McDonald's has that uh, chicken McNugget slurry to make chicken McNuggets? Yeah, we make slime. slurry. Yeah, right. we make the slurry. Yeah, if you bake it at 450 degrees for 20 minutes, you get a nugget. <laughs> yeah, you just got to <laughs> chop up the slurry. <laughs> All right. Well, um, <laughs> what else? Oh, dude, so uh, I listened to – I'm actually ashamed to admit that I listened to, like, four hours of Kyle Rittenhouse testimony today. Oh, my God. And, dude, so much. I never do that. I'm not the guy – you know, I'm not one of these people that, like, sits around and hounds these court cases and, like, listens to all the shit. But it just – it came up uh, when I was on TikTok. It came up on, like, the ABC yeah. Live TikTok. And then I just got hooked and I brought it up on my computer and I just sat there. And I watched, like – and they would go on recess and I would wait for the recess to be over. Ooh, I hope they're done soon. <laughs> Dude, they're I don't know. They might still not be done. I'm assuming they are, but um, Yeah, I think the I think generally there's like a like a, a time that court ends at a certain point, maybe probably like five, five PM or something. Probably eh, right. And so maybe they're, four. Maybe four. They're in was it Wisconsin, so yeah. our at six o'clock here, they probably ended there. Um but they were going forever and that was is really this the first is this the first week of trial? Mm. Yeah, I think this is day six, but this yeah. is the first day of Kyle himself being put on the stand, which yeah. is kind of insane. Like, he must have demanded the opportunity because no defense attorney in their right mind would put no, someone you like never that up you on the stand. Never, yeah. You know, but he, he did. And um, I will say, I was, like, torn between being impressed and, like, totally disheartened by the entire thing. Like, there were points where I felt like the uh, the prosecuting attorney was, like, asking really poignant, really great questions. But then there were also points yeah. where it was really clear that, like, he was doing, like, a very CNN thing. Like, he was just, like, hitting these inflammatory points, even though they were really clearly not relevant to court well, proceedings. Well, he probably knows everybody's watching. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, it was very clearly a TV trial. And um, yeah, the judge in that case, man, he... Oh yeah, there. I'm pretty sure they're a FedSoc judge. <laughs> yeah, which I, so, I, I'm embarrassed to admit that I had to like Google because I didn't know what the fuck that meant. Uh, but I, I, you know, the 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 Federalist Society. I yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. um, and so for the listener, I because I just learned this, the Federalist Society is is one of the leading legal societies in the United States of America. It's sort of like a fraternity for lawyers and judges. I mean, it's basically like this like decades long, basically like conspiracy to like yank the courts as far right as possible sure. yeah they're they're a, a heavily conservative and libertarian leaning um coalition yeah. of legal practitioners and they have a massive influence over you know so officially once you become a judge you have to like you can't be a member of those societies officially anymore once you're a judge but like if you're a lawyer who was a member and you become a judge you people yeah can but you still say, go like, to all the dinners with them <laughs> right I mean? right um <laughs> so once i saw that I, and it, be, it it made a lot of sense because it was like pretty clear that um <laughs> this guy was i mean he's literally acting like he's kyle rittenhouse's like protect, yeah, yeah, no, protector I mean, before, uncle like he's yeah before the trial hmm. they said that the prosecutors can't call this dude's victims you know that he shot dead you couldn't yeah. call him victims you could yeah. call them rioters or looters but you couldn't yeah. call them victims he, they were sticking to the term demonstrators I noticed that Kyle never called them rioters or looters. He called them demonstrators. Yeah. Um, he also claims to have been menaced with a chain uh, by one yeah. of the men that he shot dead. However, uh, one thing I was proud of is that during cross-examination, he was he was sort of talked into a corner, and they're like, did he ever menace you physically with anything, including his own body? And he was like, well, no. Yeah. Just his words. 
And the guy's like, cool. And then you shot him. He was standing there looking at me menacingly. Yeah. He said he wanted to fight me. And he's like, so then he tried to fight you, right? And he's like, well, no. No, I just shot him. Did he touch any part of your body? No, he tried to grab my gun. (laughs) It's like, yeah, well, sounds like you were aiming it at him, so... That's reasonable. Did he touch your body? No. At no point did he touch my body. And I was like, okay. So a man who was in the last moments of his life tried to knock the gun out of your hands that you were going to shoot him with. And then you shot him. Did nothing else. Like, didn't swing a chain at you. Didn't fucking try to stab you or shoot you back or anything. And then you shot him dead. And, like, so this is self-defense. Because, I mean, I'm telling you right now, man. If I if I had nothing but... It, fuck it. Even if I had, like, a knife or something and someone points a gun at me, the first thing I'm trying to do, knowing I'm about to get shot... Is knock that gun out of that person's hand. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that what, seems what? like it would be, that seems like it would just be like a um like not even like a like a it would just be like your body reacting. Yeah. You know? It's like a normal that's self defense. So like yeah. they're trying to spin it that like Kyle Rittenhouse was defending himself with an AR fifteen against a man who like at most he's saying he had a chain, right? So let's assume yeah. that he had a chain. Um if you have a rifle, uh you ever heard the expression don't bring a chain to a gunfight? No, because that's stupid as fuck. Like, yeah. you know, nobody with a chain is a threat to anybody with a fucking assault rifle. So, nope. I mean, what do I know? It's not It's not an assault rifle. It's a modified hunting rifle. But anyway, it was really disheartening. It was, like, not fun. I'm pretty sure this kid's going to fucking walk. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody thinks that. I mean, yep. that's just the way these things fucking go. Yep. He's not going to do a fucking second of jail time. Not even for, like, nope. aggravated manslaughter or anything like that. Like, he's he's nope. just going to get off, and it's going to suck balls. And fuck sure it. Sure is, bud. You know. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, although his uh, his crying was uh, the funniest fucking shit on earth. <laughs> oh, I loved it. It Man, it looked I, like a it looked like one of those videos of somebody who pretends to have a seizure after getting a vaccine. Sure, like you know that terrible acting yep. where they're just like, and they're just like shaking, and it's He's like a... not the way that anybody has ever had a seizure. <laughs> it was clearly coached, and um, and at the end he peeks over at the job. jury. Yeah, right. He's like, yeah, at the end, I don't know if he caught that. Did you guys, yeah, all like that? right at the end, he was just like, yo, what the fuck are they looking? Cool, cool, cool. No, I'm good now. I'm good now. Yeah. Um. Anyway, very disheartening. I'm. I'm probably going to end up following it more closely now because I just. It was. I found the courtroom drama so riveting, but also so fucking frustrating. It's just like really shitty. I hated it. Yeah. But I loved it. But I hated it. I loved it and I hated it. Um. What else? Anything else? No. I. I did have some stuff that I wanted to talk about. I forgot to write it down. I don't. I don't know, whatever. Fucking, okay. um, so, <laughs> totally forget. <laughs> All right. And that's, uh, hey, man, that's reasonable. You worked yeah. a, how long of a day? 13 hours. Wow, look at you. My mm. dinner was a Reese's Fast Break right before this. <laughs> nice, dude. Well, hey, I mean, frankly, a Reese's Fast Break is a good-ass candy bar. So Good-ass good candy bar. If you're going to have bar. a candy bar for dinner, you picked a good-ass candy bar to dude, Yeah, dude. It, it fucking, it kicked ass, bro. Yeah. yeah, and it won't give you fucking hot diarrhea, so... No, dude, no already one up this me. guy. Um, all right. Well, we do have one advertisement today. Um, all right, let's hear it. Yeah, we got we got uh, a phone call uh, like twelve hours before we recorded today, um, cool. and it's actually just it, it's pretty straightforward. But I was given just the transcript to read. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's from a guy named Jeff, and Jeff sells uh, women's fur coats. And hello, Jeff with women's fur coats. Yeah. Uh, 
so apparently Jeff repurposes fur coats that he finds uh, in the homes of people where he provides hospice care. And he just wanted uh, our listeners to know that if you or someone you know has fur coats uh, and is either dying or, like, ill or, like, a little under the weather, uh, he will come to your house and take care of you, um, but specifically if you have fur coats. And (laughs) in the unlikely and untimely event that you do pass, uh, uh, he, he just asks that you donate the coats in exchange for his services. So... Um, I've actually currently got a bit of a cold. Uh, I've got him coming over tomorrow because I've got 15 or 16 fur coats in my house. And I'm hoping that he's able to, you know, I'll give him at least one or two of them, but I'm hoping that he's able to help me pull through. I did ask him about his success rate. Uh, He was unwilling to give me those figures just because he said he didn't have his his spreadsheets available. What's his business model? Wait, what? What the fuck does he do? So if you... If you've got fur coats, I'm, I'm fucking so good. Do you have a fur right coat? Now. I do not have a fur coat. Okay, no. well, so then you don't have to worry about it. But if you've got Why a fur coat, fur? if you've got a fur coat, Jeff will come to your house. And if you're sick, if you've got a fur okay. coat and you're sick, Jeff will come to your house and he'll provide you with hospice care. Now, you don't have to be dying. Uh, yeah, you can be. You can be just ill, but he'll provide you with end of life care regardless, and just kind of make your transition into your eventual end of life easier. Um, in exchange for one or all of your coats and you have to sign, it's really simple, really. You just like sign a piece of paper and you say, I'll give you all my coats if I die. So you pawn your coat to a guy if you're sick. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) very few people pull through. Um, so (laughs) I don't want to like accuse him of anything, but it's, (laughs) it's possible that Jeff kills people for their coats. But, um, that that being said, like if you're sick and like, you've got all these fur coats, like, it's worth the gamble, I think. How does he pay his rent? I'm sorry? How does he pay his rent? He's a homeowner. Okay. Yeah, he inherited a house so, from so his grandmother. So he sells these fur coats? And coincidentally, a lot of them? the house that he inherited uh, came with a lot of fur coats. Okay. <laughs> he okay. makes his money mostly on the coats, okay. which I feel like is a... Um, that's a good way to make money, man. <laughs> he makes his money mostly on that's the coats. Fucking, so. That's a fucking good-ass way to make money, dude. <laughs> he makes Just his money mostly on the coats. taking people's coats. Yeah, and he inherited them. 50 fur coats uh, and a house from his grandmother. And yeah. um, coincidentally, around the same time, he started recognizing the value in fur coats, vintage fur coats. And so he started offering end-of-life care to the ill or slightly under the weather. Um <laughs> And he's turned a pretty massive profit. So yeah, yeah <laughs> obviously so is a f- he has he he has this uncanny way of being able to tell when your minor illness will develop into a fatal disease. <laughs> That's a good ass <laughs> fucking skill to have, dude. Yeah, it's he's like a he's like a dowsing rod, but for people that are gonna end up dying, kick um, in the bucket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how he knows, but there's some kind of clearly some kind of special skill there. <laughs> okay, well, thank so, you, uh, Jeff. What's his name? It's just it's just Jeff. That's all he told me. Jeff, thank you, Jeff, with the fur coat. Yeah, uh, I will uh, be sure if I ever buy a fur coat uh, and then develop a minor illness or possibly stubbed toe, I will let you know. Yeah, and he'll be sure to take uh, exquisite care of you for your remaining days. <laughs> but, Jeff, you, but you've got to you. sign over those fur coats, though. That's the whole yeah. thing. So yeah, Jeff is here for you. Yeah, he, in your time of need. He doesn't take cash. It's fur coats only. So. 
Keep anyway, the fucking cash. I, I know it I'll seems kind of weird, but uh, uh, maybe almost improvisational. But I just, I just that's that's what he said to say. So that's what I said. No, it's a it's a good ass fucking thing to say. And so. what's what's funny is that all of that was read verbatim off of a written paper. Um, the way that he wrote that ad was <laughs> very stream of consciousness. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you, Joe. Yeah, no problem, man. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure he would say no problem. <laughs> He wrote that okay. on the end there too. He's like, if he says thank you, just make sure you like, just no problem. It's, it's fine. So now, after all that, uh, hey everybody, welcome to the Left on Right podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I'm Evan. Uh, this is my co-host Jeff. I, I mean Cam. So, yeah, no, Jeff is a different guy. <laughs> no, totally, an actual <laughs> different guy. I'm yeah. Cam. Uh, not look, Jeff. At, look at me. Yeah, with these tongue twisters of names. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy, somehow I managed to mistake my co-host Cam for this for totally a... real guy named Jeff who, you know, in advance <laughs> wrote us an ad. What a fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah. Okay, great. Yep. Yep. Let's start the uh, let's start the actual show. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we are. Okay. Uh, welcome. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, what, do you so have, what do you have uh, in store for us today? So, what's that? I said, what do you have in store for us today? Yeah, so uh, we are going back to a, uh, a series that we haven't touched in a while. Um, although I did start writing this episode a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going back to the American Utopia series. Cool. Uh, Alan Dulles's American Utopia. So, um, as a brief reminder, last time we talked, we kind of just went over, um, in the first episode, uh, the business plot in 1930s America, when a bunch of uh, Wall Street perverts tried to coup FDR. And then we kind of talked about um, some of the more nefarious things that, uh, that some of these same perverts were doing towards the end of World War II. And it was very pervy insanely perverted uh yeah. if you were wondering if it had to deal with auschwitz slave labor it did <laughs> <laughs> for sure it did oh man um, yeah a little known that, fact one of the predominant products created in auschwitz yeah fur coats yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh and one of the uh the biggest uh supporters of the nazi regime henry ford not jeff but you mm-hmm. know he could have been a jeff he was similarly driven and had a yeah. I would I would say equally interesting uh success story. I would say yeah, it's on sure. even footing with Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff and Henry Ford, two titans two, of industry, two peas in a pod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <coughs> but yeah, and so in episode 2 we dug more into uh kind of um you know the way that uh 
the um, some actors within the uh, the American uh, state snuck a bunch of Nazis out of uh, Western Europe mm -hmm. uh, towards the end of the war, and how they even tried to get these Nazis to uh, fight the Soviets, even while America was allied to the Soviet Union. Wow. How devious. Yep. Yeah, how disgusting. How just utterly devious. Yep. And so in today's episode, we will travel back to the American utopia of the 40s, and we'll get into the 50s of America here. Um, but first, I wanted to kind of go back a little bit uh, into 1917 in Russia, just to get maybe get into more about why it is that, uh, or how it makes so much fucking sense that America would, you know, stab one of their lifelong allies in the back like that. Sure. Um, so at first, you know, as Michael Parenti said in his 1970 book, The Anti-Communist uh, The Anti-Communist Impulse, quote, our fear that communism might someday take over most of the world blinds us to the fact that anti-communism already has. Right. And I would say that that line is pretty much overall the view that, or, you know, what I'm trying to hammer home with this entire series. So, <clears throat> you know, America was always rabidly anti-communist. And uh, this really goes all the way back to the Bolshevik Revolution of Russia in 1917. So as an absurdly brief history, uh, for those unaware, or who would just like a quick refresher, um, well, before the Bolshevik Revolution, Russia was uh, an ally of America. We were mm -hmm. allies in World War One, and we would eventually become allies in World War Two, despite, uh, you know, a lot of people in America's uh, discontent with that decision. Right. And this is with the Russian Empire at this point. For, yeah, yeah, so it was the Russian Empire, yeah. yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, just the Russian Empire, the Tsar of the Russian Empire was like the first cousin of the King of England. Yeah, King so, George, the, was it King George V and Tsar Nicholas II? Yeah, it was Tsar Nicholas II, I think it was George V. And if, I highly suggest people even pause this right now or something, Look at pictures of the two of them. They yeah. could literally be twin brothers. Yeah, there, there, there are. It's a really um, shocking example of like at this point, you know, the early twentieth century, like how inbred European society yeah. had become. These guys were like second cousins, or oh no, they were first. I think they, they were first cousins. They were man. first cousins. Yeah, and, and they um, look like brothers. Like they, they look, look like identical. Brothers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not mo not kind of identical. They. They could literally right. be twins. They look, they look more like each other than I do with my brother. And a lot of people are saying, well, Cam, your brother doesn't exist. And it's like, well, that's a your fair Your brother point. Jeff? That's a fair point. <laughs> Jeff's not my brother. And stop <laughs> stop accusing me of that. I've never met Jeff. Um, I have never personally met Jeff. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you know. So me like and my World brother War... Jeff, we look very, anyway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, like, World War One really was, like, I mean, it was a family affair. It was just sure. a bunch of families, uh, or a bunch of different members of family, like fighting each other. Yeah. Over, you know, with the, all these new toys they had developed. Yeah, it's scraps. Yeah. It was just cousin. It was uh, it was cousin magic, and it was uncle magic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so while World War One was ongoing, the Tsarist imperial government of the Romanov dynasty was toppled. So at this time, there were many forces vying for power in Russia. The main ones were. Um, hardline reactionary monarchist nationalists that were known as the Black Hundreds. And they can really be thought of as proto-fascists. Okay. Uh, they were anti-Semitic, extremely xenophobic, and they were staunch supporters of the autocratic Romanov dynasty because the Romanovs at the time, I mean, it was still like a feudal society, really. Right, yeah. The Russian yeah. Empire remained essentially like a medieval feudal state right up until yeah. the end. Yeah, I mean, they Way were going through than... like industrial processes, but I mean, it was still like feudal. Right. 
Um, so some of these Black Hundreds did agree that Tsar Nicholas II, um, who was one of the most truly inept monarchs of the modern era, they some of them did believe that he had to go because of how terrible he was. They just mm-hmm. wanted another Romanov to take right. over. Right. And it really can't be said that like Tsar Nicholas is like the perfect ruler to have if you're trying to stage a revolution because he was just... He was like so every, bad that it's just... Every like... decision he made was arguably the worst one that he could have done in a situation. Yeah, um, yeah so then there were uh, other factions. Uh, there were Republicans, and these came in various different types. You had the Cadets, the Octoberists, and the Progressivists. Um, now, these Republicans ranged from everything from like constitutional monarchists to even like right-wing mild socialists. Although socialist here really needs to be understood outside of the Marxist view and more as, like, right-leaning social democrats. Sure. Um, and really, this whole group was roughly center-liberal. Gotcha. And then there were, of course, the socialists. Like uh, the real so socialists. These were, what's that? I said the real socialists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so these were made up mainly of the socialist revolutionaries, which was a party. Um, and this, uh, and the socialist revolutionaries themselves were split up as the right SRs and the left SRs based on, guess what, how left they were. <laughs> and then there was also the Social Democratic Labor Party, which was split up into Julius Martov's Menshevik faction and Vladimir Lenin's Bolshevik faction. Hey, I've heard of him. Yeah. Daddy Vlad. The fourth, Daddy be- Vladdy, the fourth dude. beetle. <laughs> um, and also who friend of the show, Alex Herbert, uh, dressed up as for Halloween, and it was an amazing costume. Did he really? <laughs> yeah, dude, it was wicked he's, good. He's got the look, yeah. We gotta yeah, have yeah, him dude. back on soon. Oh, for sure, dude, for sure. I know. I know he wants to do one of our... Alex, if you're listening, we, we want to have you back on soon. Great costume, too. <laughs> yeah, sounds like yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So now the revolution in Russia t- uh, took two parts. Uh, the February Revolution came first, and this would be toppled by the October Revolution of later in the year. So at first, the Romanov dynasty was deposed, and dual power was shared by the provisional government, which was sort of this like nebulous government as the position of the monarchy was not resolved. And then there was the Petrograd Soviet, um, which was a workers' and soldiers' council. That's mm. basically what Soviet means. Right. So after a tumultuous year for this provisional government, Alexander Kerensky came to power at the end of the summer trying to fix the government as it crumbled under the weight of all the warring factions. And then Daddy Vladdy, Vladimir Lenin, came storming back into Russia from his exile in Finland. Leon Trotsky joined with the Bolsheviks after generally siding with the Mensheviks for years. And the Bolsheviks would come to power and build a country founded on the Soviets. After this, the country plummeted into a civil war. The main factions were the Whites and the Reds. The Reds were, obviously, the Communists, led by the Bolsheviks, but other socialists would join them like the Left SRs. And the Whites were led by the Black Hundreds, various liberal factions, non-Bolshevik-aligned socialists, and then their ranks were bolstered by the Allies of World War I. So, at the time... Once the Soviet Revolution took place, they just called for a general armistice. Done. No more war. We're out of World War One, And the Allies, people who had been you know, allied with Russia, were like, uh-uh, we need that front for the war. So they invaded Russia in order to try to uh, get them back into the war. And then also to, you know, stop a Soviet, you know, like socialist revolution. Right. So, it was as a member of the Whites that over 10,000 Americans would land in socialist Russia and fight for two years. As Winston Churchill put it, their goal, along with France and Britain, was to, quote, strangle at its birth 
this new type of country that had never been seen before, built and guarded by the workers with all production publicly owned for the good of all the people in the country. So I really want to hammer this home. The people now in control of Russia were the people that were dying for the Allies for years. Right. And they were like, listen, like we've been dying for you guys forever. We don't want to do the same. We want control. And the people who had been benefiting from their sacrifices were like, fuck you. Yeah, you know, we're... <laughs> It was all good and well when you guys were like, you know, running yeah. in front of bullets for us, but we're not interested in you being in No, no, no. You thought that you had a say in this. You don't have a say in this. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, thanks, so, but no thanks. Yeah. So this, no matter what, was never going to be okay with the European and American patrician families. Yeah. They could accept the Romanov dynasty being toppled, and they could accept the church being kicked out. But <clears throat> they would never, ever, ever accept the repossession of the goods and resources of a country by the workers that made them and that lived on the land. That was never going to be allowed by the noble families of the West. And really, understanding what happened in the Soviet Union once the Civil War was over and the USSR was founded really requires the understanding that Russia's former allies invaded them after soldiers and workers that fought alongside them chose to build a new society that benefited those same workers and soldiers. They knew that the capitalists would not allow that type of state to continue, and an invasion again was always a possibility. If the Soviet Union succeeded, what was to stop workers and soldiers from doing the same in America, Britain, or France? Right. And, you know, even Premier Nikita Khrushchev, which, it's a very much a cancelable offense with, like, some, you know, some, you know, online socialists or whatever, that I think Nikita Khrushchev was, like, a fantastic ruler of the country. I've said it before that I think that his sure. ruler ship was probably like the best time of the soviet union yeah we've talked about that on a, on a few occasions on the show yeah you know i know everybody loves daddy stalin but <laughs> I, it's really shocking to me that people do um, well they, they they try to you know they try to revise the history of it sure yeah you and I, I i don't know i just think it's like really like upsetting that so many modern socialists and communists are like yeah doing that because it's like i don't know man <laughs> a lot of that stuff is like pretty hard fact, and yeah, and he, and also like you know what I mean like he's a fucking loser. He was a loser. <laughs> like every, well, he was also a lunatic. He was yeah, he was but a, even he that, was but he was like a loser. Was, you know what I mean? It was his decision on how to build the price point. Yeah, that led to the crumbling of the economy. And you know, people talk about how Khrushchev was like a, a liberalized things or the rightist, but like there was nothing he could do once Stalin decided that the price point yeah. and the way that the economy would work. And, like, also, he, Stalin, was a loser. He backed away from the fight at the last moment, and the the way that he treated everything after World War II was what allowed the West to, like, get such a huge head start in the Cold War. But regardless. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he would remind the world in 1959, uh, so he was speaking in New York City, and he said, you know, basically, you know, remember the time you sent your troops to quell our revolution. Right. So he did that speech. So that never left the Soviet consciousness. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were always aware of the fact that, like, the West invested actual, like, lives into trying to ensure that they never came to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and recall once Russia, outside of all likelihood, survived the Civil War and an invasion by the West, then former parts of Imperial Russia built their own Soviet republics that then joined into one massive multinational country built by a class and not on race lines, and then somehow survived its infancy and came out into World War II. It was then invaded by Nazi Germany and its old allies. 
or it was invaded by Nazi Germany and its old allies. America and the UK not only allowed the Nazis to ravage them while once uh, while you know they were allied, but they even plotted to turn the Nazis against them alone, hoping to break the Union. And then they actually did turn the Nazis against them after the war to subvert them. And you know, and now I've, I'll defend Stalin a bit. For what's worth, worth you'll also, you'll often hear people make a big thing about the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact of 1939 when the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany made a non-aggression pact to partition Poland. So you'll hear a lot of, like, American propaganda. They'll call it an alliance, which it wasn't. It was a non-aggression pact. And it was just a state uh, that neither would invade the other over the Polish partition. Right, right. And the only reason that the Soviet Union had to do that is because they just watched the West leave the Spanish socialists and anarchists out to dry as the country fell into the fascist bloc during the Spanish Civil War. And the Soviets, Stalin himself, actually did aid them against Franco. Yeah. And, you know, for everybody who's not aware, Francisco Franco, that was a full-on military coup. The government that was voted in Spain was more left-wing, and Franco was like, nah, fuck that, and then he just took power. So, right. like... <laughs> oh, God, the Spanish Civil War is so fascinating. It's I hope insane, that one yeah. day we do an episode, or, well, several... Probably a few. Probably have to be a it's, few. It's, it's kind of unlike any other... Yeah. I mean, we call it fascist now in hindsight, but it really was... Often like, people will call it Francoist. Yeah, and what's it. interesting about Franco is, like, his approach to control of the country was very different from, like, a Mussolini or a Hitler. Uh, yeah. There were obviously, like, massive human rights abuses and, and, and yeah. you know, mass casualties and stuff, but he changed... He was flexible, and he changed a lot... You know, between the 30s and the 70s. I think it was yeah. the 70s when he died. Yeah, finally. the 70s when he died, and then they bombed the uh, his successor. Yeah, well, because like, yeah, by the time that he died, he was like, yeah, there's not going to be another one of me. We're not yeah. going to do a dictatorship forever. He, he, he had this idea that he was going to reform Spain. And then once he died, it would just be a monarchy again, and it, it's yeah. just—it's just interesting. It—it it almost feels like an old, like a like a Gaius Marius or something like that. Like, yeah. It's like a very old, like a Roman approach to, you know, quote unquote dictatorship, where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. It's gonna last precisely my lifetime, and yeah. then hopefully by the time I die, like I'll leave something behind. And he did a lot of fucked up shit to get there. But anyway, I'm not—I'm not a pro Franco yeah. guy, but it's, it's yeah, an interesting sure. time period. But no, and you know, tomorrow what you said, you like all of the uh, like fascist countries and shit like that there's a reason we call them different things like yeah. portugal like salazarist portugal usually call it corporatist yeah you know it's it's not you know fascist is like really what italy was nazi was yeah. germany francoist was spain and corporatist was portugal right because there are all these differences with them there are lots of differences and they all yeah. get lumped in as being fascist in hindsight but yeah really and, and, they... yeah because broadly speaking yeah Right. And it, right now, in hindsight, we're able to sort of say, here, there are enough similarities, like, let's just call them yeah. what we call them. You know, they're yeah. all Nazis in, a, in their own way, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they all deserve the wall, but... <laughs> yeah, no, ab absolutely. And so, <laughs> yeah. like, just to reiterate, I'm not, like, a pro-Franco yeah, guy. Yeah. I just find Franco's Spain um, really interesting because there were... <laughs> it sucks to say, but, like, there were there were benefits to his regime. He turned that country around. He just took mm -hmm. a real fucking bad... <laughs> He didn't do it. He was yeah. he was a piece of shit. And, you know, anyway. Yeah. But, um. so anyway, as I was saying, so, you know, part of the reason that Stalin made that non-aggression pact with the Nazis was because he just watched the West leave Spain high right. and dry. Yeah. And he was like, all right, shit's 
about to pop off in Europe, and I need to secure somewhere on my border. Right. Some some place <laughs> has to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to give that kind of brief background, maybe to give more understanding to America's views of the Soviet Union. Sure. Uh, yeah. So anyway, let's uh, let's get back to our old friend Alan Dulles. <laughs> um, so uh, let's return to him in the world he had cultivated in Bern, Switzerland, at the end of World War II. So Dulles's wife was a uh, well, she was a woman mainly unconcerned with his work and what he did in his personal life. As over the years, she had come to the realization that he was an uncaring cold man whose entire conception of human interaction was transactional. He was either getting info from you, and this was generally his talks with men, or enjoyed the feeling power he got boasting with women. Uh, he was also a notorious fuckboy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he just, just like, dicked some, dicked some broads down. Cool. Yep. That's a way to say it, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, he dicked some folks down. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so, anyway, while in Switzerland, he had taken a mistress named Mary Bancroft. And his quite, uh, wife, Clover, knew about it and, you know, was okay with it. Uh, in fact, the two women would become fast friends, despite them being, you know, kind of both objects of Dulles' affections, which is kind of <laughs> weird to me. I mean, um, yeah. So Bancroft... That was their, married... that was their polycule. Yeah, you, you the, the Alan Dulles polycule, dude. That's <laughs> fucking so disgusting. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hey, kid, hey, man. Uh, so Mary Bancroft would go on to become something of an honorary spy for Dulles. As she knew how to play the game, she tapped into the secret homosexual underground of both the Allied and Access camps, and she could move in those circles to get information from Dulles, or for Dulles. Hell yeah. That sounds like a really cool underground. Yeah. The secret homosexual underground? Nice, of both the dude. Allies and the Axis? Yeah. yeah. What a world yep. to fucking maneuver through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, both Bancroft and Clover saw a psychotherapist, uh, a strange man some of you may have heard of before, mm -hmm. Carl Jung. Um, spelled Jung, if anybody's wondering, but it's Jung. Uh, and he was plenty familiar with both Mussolini and Hitler. Uh, so with Muss Mussolini, he saw a warm and outgoing man whom he called Homely. Uh, but with Hitler, he was scared and even held him in some mystical esteem, him and everybody else, uh, seeing him as almost the incarnation of the German spirit, like some deity in mortal form that took on the life of the German nation. He was horrified by him, but found it impossible to look away. He once described Hitler as a mask like a robot, or a mask of a robot. He seemed as if he might be the double of a real person, and that Hitler the man might perhaps be hiding inside like an appendix, and deliberately so hiding in order not to disturb the mechanism. Fuck. I, dude, that's... Yeah. Yeah. It's a, oh. it's a way to describe someone. It's yeah. a way to be, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so Dulles was infatuated with Jung's insights, especially into Hitler. I'm sure. <laughs> and for this, he kept Mary Bancroft as a go-between. For her part, she was infatuated herself with Dulles. Both had total moral flexibility, which they would both admit was necessary for espionage. However, Mary Bancroft would be unnerved when she brought up Dulles's peculiar, open and trusting stance at times with people, even ones he was suspicious of or had the goods on. <laughs> As he replied, this is one of the most, if, yeah. if you ever hear somebody say what I'm about to say or anything like it, yeah. just um, immediate police, just immediately turn them in. Um, Straight to jail. Yeah, straight to jail. Yeah, uh, do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars, dude. Fucking just straight to jail, man. Straight to jail. Yeah. I like to watch the little mice sniffing at the cheese just before they venture into the little trap. I like to see their expressions when it snaps shut, breaking their little necks. I mean, I'm hard. Like I don't believe it or not, straight to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I find that yeah. pretty, uh, pretty compelling. Compelling, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, compelling. Yeah, yeah, compelling. Um, so Jung would go on to tell Mary Bancroft that despite her love for Alan Dulles, he was incapable of truly loving her back. Really. Uh, even his own daughter, Joan, suffered through two loveless marriages for her father's sake. The second marriage was to a man he would station in Iraq, uh, or, sorry, in Iran, right after he helped coup the government of Mossadegh in order to reinstall Shah Muhammad Reza Pahlavi in order to spy on the Soviet Union from a bordering country. Which also just like when I read that, I was also like, "Wait, shit! Iran bordered the Soviet Union." Yeah, that's how fucking yeah. big the Soviet Union yeah. was. Like sometimes you have to like kind of like think about, it. and also how big Iran is too. Yeah, Iran's a, a massive huge fucking, country. Yeah, yeah, it like basically goes from like Turkey to Pakistan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, massive. Yeah, it borders like seven other countries. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, for Dulles, the only relationship he had with other people is one of power. Yep, QED. Uh, so, uh, so even as the CIA was just beginning to form and Dulles was back at Sullivan and Cromwell, which, if you will recall, is the uh, the law firm he worked for uh, that uh, was really into helping Nazis do Nazi things. Mm -hmm. um, so the specter of him haunted the communist bloc in Eastern Europe after the end of the war, but before he took over as director of central intelligence. So he was officially a civilian until like 1952 interesting okay no 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 wait no he i think a little bit before then so definitely through the 40s i believe he was still a civilian and it'd be a while before he officially worked for the cia yeah officially i you know. right he's still <laughs> doing a lot of work there he's still spooky yeah oh yeah he's still still spooked <laughs> up <laughs> <laughs> um, so one story involved an extended group of people taking prisoner towards the end of Stalin's rule as his paranoia had fully gripped the Iron Curtain. So Erika Glazer Wallach had walked through the Brandenburg Gate in 1950 into East Germany to look for her adopted father, Noel Field, who had disappeared in Prague a year earlier after accepting a teaching job. His wife Hertha and his younger brother Hermann had also gone missing looking for him. Wallach had escaped Nazi Germany and Francoist Spain and been rescued by the Field family, and none of them had anti-Soviet or anti-communist leanings, and indeed even had some connections to the communists now in control in Eastern Europe. Yet all of them found themselves taken into prison and tortured by their captives, and one question always came up, how do you know Alan Dulles? Hmm. Noel Field was taken in 1949, four years after Dulles had left Switzerland and ostensibly returned to private life. Wow. 
So in fact, Dulles had worked with the Senate Armed Services Committee to help design the centralized intelligence apparatus that would be used as the basis for the CIA. And then in 1948, Thomas E. Dewey was the GOP frontrunner for president, and it looked as if Truman did not stand a chance at re-election, being an, an unworthy successor to FDR in the eyes of New Deal loyalists, for good reason, uh, who now pin their hopes on Henry Wallace's re-emergence. So Wallace was the one-time vice president to FDR in 1941 to 1945, who was beaten at the Democratic National Convention by Truman in achieving uh, re-nomination for FDR's fourth term. And just if I can, uh, as an aside, I really think like this is like one of the moments in history that like if he had won re-election mm -hmm. as vice president, like I think like this could have been an entirely different course of century. Really? Because I mean, Henry Wallace was like a hard New Dealer. Yeah. And he was also like he was hardline about a detente with the Soviet Union. You know, him, he was like, these are our fucking allies. Like, why are we going against them? He, like, never bought... Right. He eventually, in the 50s, would recant, say, oh, the Soviet Union's evil. But I think it was more because that was during McCarthyism, and he was trying to get back into politics. Right. Trying but to kind of salvage, years, like, whatever opportunity he had to yeah. get back into the system. And yeah. But but even after, like, the Cold War had started, he was still saying, like, why are we fucking doing this shit? Right. Like, you know, I mean, he was a hard New Dealer. Um. But yeah, he was beaten by Truman in achieving renomination for FDR's fourth term. And Truman is a very, very, very conservative Democrat. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so uh, Wallace was challenging now in 1948 Truman from the left as an independent. Uh, I think he was in the Progressive Party. Uh, so Dewey was already outfitting his cabinet before the election. He's the Republican. Mm -hmm. And John Foster Dulles was being tapped for Secretary of State and Alan Dulles as DCI, which is Director of Central Intelligence. So at this point, Wallace was still pro-Soviet and Foster, John Foster, believed the U.S. and the USSR could come to an accord at, to halt the nascent Cold War. So he was actually against his brother in this. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Alan Dulles would eventually beat that out of his older brother. After Truman founded the CIA and the National Security Act of 1947, Dulles began plotting ways for it to subvert the office of the president. Like, immediately, his view was that this would become the actual power in the country, not the president. Interesting. Um, so Truman initially wanted it to be subservient to the president just to give him intelligence, you mm -hmm. know, so he can make his decisions. But Which Dulles believed sense, it, yeah. It's almost yeah, like a little yeah, like a Praetorian It's called the guard, Central yeah. Intelligence Agency, yeah. Right. But Dulles believed its true power lay in its unlimited ability to subvert authority in the law. With Truman's position weak due to the 1948 election, Dulles was able to begin consolidating power before he was even in the agency. 
Of course, he always claimed everything he did was under the auspices that the KGB and the intelligence forces of the Eastern Bloc were even more brutal, more ruthless, more powerful. Uh, but this was never the case, and I, I doubt Dulles actually believed it, you know? Right, yeah. Like, he knew, he knew what was he, going he, on. Right, exactly. Like, he's a fucking liar. <laughs> like, just like every other spook that's ever lived, he's a fucking right. liar. That's his primary skill. That's his yeah. main qualification for doing what he does. Yeah, he's is not that he can human. lie to himself so convincingly that he starts to believe the truth. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That he's actually a hero doing things for the good of the country. Right. You know? <clears throat> so what a nice thought. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, so in March of 1948, the CIA began its long track record of regime change with some heavy influence in the 1948 Italian election in April. So. Our old friend, which who I mentioned a bit in the last episode, uh, James Jesus Angleton, who I like to call James Jesus, <laughs> or Jimmy Jesus. JJ. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jimmy Jesus Angleton. Uh, he flew into the U.S. to give his thoughts to Dulles. So he, he was still in, like, Italy at the time. You know, he sure. stayed there for a while. And, uh, dude, his story's crazy. I'll, I'll get into it in later, later apps. But James Jesus Angleton is such a fucking freak. Um... And so he believed that the Italian communists were on the verge of defeating the Christian Democrats in Italy. The Christian Democrats are like the uh, center, like liberal party. Gotcha. So namely, he believed that the, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so the Italian Dem uh, communists were on the verge of defeating the, the DC. Uh, and he believed something needed to be done immediately. So Angleton, Dulles, and Jim Forrestal, who was Truman's defense secretary and Dulles's ally, began flying in massive amounts of dark money into Italy. So millions of American dollars traveled over the border and made their way into the DC's hands in duffel bags and they defeated the communists. But then Truman defeated Dewey and Dulles was back on the way out as Forrestal was ousted. Uh, and then Forrestal would actually be institutionalized after a mental breakdown and commit suicide a year later. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um... So then in 1949, Dulles was able to found the National Committee for Free Europe, a, quote, private philanthropic group. <laughs> Gotta hit the spook alarms there. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's right. <laughs> um, so this was really an anti-communist CIA front that uh, financed propaganda in post-war Europe, such as Radio Free Europe, a broadcasting nonprofit used to promote propaganda. So anytime you uh, hear, especially you know, in the 20th century, things about free Europe or free Asia right. or the National Committee for these or in talking about how things are private philanthropic groups, it is 100% of the time spook shit. <laughs> like, yeah. it is spooked up to the absolute fucking gills, dude. <laughs> like, that shit is CIA front to back. Yeah. 100% of times. If it's not CIA, it's fucking MI6. Like. Right. It is always, always, Some always... Some Western intelligence agency yeah. just flexing its muscle. Yes, it always is. And that's yeah. what they call it so that people don't ask questions or, like, morons are like, they're just philanthropic. It's just it's an international philanthropic interest organization. Yeah, called uh, that they just uh, promote... Uh, they just blast broadcasts into uh, communist Europe. <laughs> it's about freedom, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, freedom, uh, freedom casts. Um, so at least $2 million used in this project was, guess what, Nazi fucking gold <laughs> taken from the Jews at the Holocaust that Dulles had gotten Jesus a hold of. Christ. Like, it always comes back to this shit. Literally Nazi every time. Gold, man. Yeah. So Dulles helped create an intelligence outpost buried within the State Department called the Office of Policy Coordination. 
So this was intentionally vague and boring, but led by fellow Wall Street lawyer-turned-spook Frank Wisner. So the OPC would grow to a massive size by 1952 and was a shadow intelligence organization run by Dulles and Wisner outside of the CIA, oh often without Truman even being aware that it was a thing or what it was you know, doing. So they would operate routinely within the borders of U.S. allies in Europe. It was his own shadow CIA. That, that rocks. Yeah. I would love to have my own shadow CIA. How do you get to the point that you can create that part of the government? Like... <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know what it sounds like to me? It's like the precedent for a lot of this stuff just didn't exist. And so he was just like willing to... Who's going to stop me? Right. He's like, listen, until somebody tells me that we can't do that. No one ever said I couldn't do this. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know that it wasn't allowed. Where oh, the law I, is... Okay. Yeah. If you make a new law, no problem. I'll... I'll okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get out of Belgium. OPC, I'll leave but... Belgium. <laughs> I'll leave Belgium. Okay, right. guys? On to Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 1949, uh, British intelligence alerted Dulles that one of his wartime assets, Noel Field, let's go back to them, was on his way. reminding me of Noel Fielding. I did. I, yes, you and me both. Every time I was reading this, I would say Noel Fielding, and then I would just think, the mighty boosh. Um, well, now, uh, the Great British Baking Show. Did you know that? Oh. No. He's the co-host of like one of the most popular. Oh, he's back like, doing things again. Yeah, I mean, he's always done like panel shows and stuff, which are really big there. They're well, not big didn't here. he like kind of disappeared for a bit? Oh, did he? Yeah, um, no, he's, he so he's for two or three years now. He's been oh. one of the hosts of the Great British Baking Show, and he's yeah. fabulous. I don't watch that show too often, but occasionally yeah. I'll. It's actually a very relaxing show. Um, yeah. British cooking shows are like way better than American cooking shows <laughs> because they're not like all about like high drama. They're just like. No, just a, like crazy, like like cut, like ang- like different like angles, just cut right. camera cuts and right. shit. And there's like you've got to run and grab the ingredients and do it in a set time. Gordon Ramsay's yelling at you. It's like no, they're just like. And then like in reality, it was like a very nice slow pace while sure. they were filming it, but then they just keep cutting the camera. Right. And so with the Great British Bake Show, it's like, well, that's a fabulous cream tart you've created. Why don't you walk us through your ingredients? And it's just like, <laughs> well, this is lovely. It's just I, nice, yeah. It does look delicious. I'd love to hear yeah. how she made it. Like, and that's yeah. the whole thing. And he's just on there making, like, occasional, like, slightly off-color jokes. Because you yeah. can get away with a lot more, I feel like, on British TV. They just don't revel in it in the same way yeah, that we would. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is like a random unpaid dis- uh, sponsorship for yeah, yeah. the Great British Baking Show, now starring Noel yeah. Fielding. See, see the only out. British food shows I like are specifically the Waking Kebab. Oh, dude. <laughs> dude, that fucking when they, video. When he, when he slaps the fucking P-Wet. Is that what yeah. it is? No, when, uh, when they ask him, when he's like, what's Smack Bomb P-Wet? And the guy's like, yeah. well, Smack Bomb P-Wet. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just what like, you mean? shot. Yeah. And it's, what it's like, the it's like a hash of the brown pea. with like a fucking bunch of just the juice from no, peas on it. Yeah, it's a sm- it's like a smashed up like potato, deep fried, and then it's the wet of the peas. Not the peas. A few peas yeah. get in, and then and it's, it's just like on six, like, it's a, like sixty p. A buttered toasty, like, you know? Yeah, it's like not even a pound. It's like sixty p for smack bar. Yeah, and sixty pence. Yeah, it's for kids. Yeah, oh, the kids and, love it. Yeah, and then they what have the one that's Babby's Ed. <laughs> <laughs> that they say, yeah, it's Babby's head. It's like, why is it called Babby's head? It's because when you crack into it, it looks like you crack into it. Just like you smacked head. a fucking baby's head open. Nice. Ah. All right. Great. We're here for the Wigan Kebab. <laughs> like, which honestly, dude, I would. Oh, the Wigan Kebab looked really good. I don't even remember what it was, but it's like. Uh, it's, it's a It is a fried meat pie yeah. in between buttered bread. 
<laughs> you eat a meat pie sandwich and like it's honestly a, dude okay got it i would slam that shit down yeah of course yeah. if you're drunk or high enough like all that shit sounds good if i ever go to the uk I'd i'm eat the going wet, to dude, northern i'm going to the north i'm getting a fucking wigan kebab um the uk sucks but like you should go there <laughs> i'm well no, the, all, not all of the uk sucks england yeah. sucks dude don't go like you go there but england sucks Oh, yeah, yeah, it would be, like, tight to go to, like, Wales and Scotland and shit. I've got a lot of family that lives there, and they would probably have a million examples of, like, why I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, which is, like, yeah. And to be fair, true. we live in America, which is all yeah. just as shitty. Well, so here's the thing, man. Here was my limited experience of the UK. It's that, like, <laughs> the US and the UK are shitty in a lot of the same ways. The one thing we have over them is that we're just, like, way bigger, and there's just nice places to drive to and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have that, too, just not as much. Yeah, like it's just not. There's just not as much nice scenery compared to the dystopia. I mean, it's super. It's like as densely populated as the northeast of the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you mean just, New but that's England? The whole country. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's just the whole country. You can't yeah. just like fuck off out west or something, you know? <sighs> yeah, you can't. Yeah. Anyway, so where <laughs> I don't even remember where I was. Uh, you were at in 1949. Yeah, I read. Uh, okay, yeah. So, um, yeah. Although so, I guess we oh, shouldn't start no over field. there because we already talked about no fielding, and then the whole yeah. thing is going to be fucking okay. weird. So anyway, woo, back oh, on boy. track. So all right, <laughs> making a podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a narrative here. So Noel Field was on his way to Prague in the Eastern Bloc to take a teaching job. Uh, so Wisner had acquired a double agent inside Poland uh, who was instructed to spread the word throughout the Eastern Bloc that Field was actually an agent under the control of his old spymaster, Alan Dulles, and he was to sow discord throughout the East. Mm-hmm. Field was not um, he was not a spy at this point. He right. did work for Dulles for the OSS in World War II, but he wasn't at this time. Gotcha. He was just taking a teaching job. Um, <clears throat> so this was not true, but Dulles and Wisner had hatched the plot to sow a seed of doubt in Stalin's mind that would weaken the Soviet Empire. So this was named Operation Splinter Factor, and hmm. it was entirely using one of Dulles' old allies as a pawn, knowing the family would be wrapped up in the geopolitical intrigue as Stalin here at the end of his life, and just completely like, gripped and paranoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he, he was, was by currently, the end, Stalin was fucking... Yeah, so he was panicking at this point uh, because Yugoslavia, which was communist... Mm-hmm. Uh, led by Josip Broz Tito, had just turned away from him. So they had, like, a big falling out. And, like, Stalin apparently, like, tried to, like, assassinate Tito a bunch of times. Apparently and finally times, Tito right? just sends him a letter. He's like, if you send one more assassin after me. Because they had caught him each time. Yeah. <coughs> he's like, if you send one more, I'm going to send one to Moscow and he's not going to miss. Yeah. <laughs> and Stalin finally was like, okay, fine. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Yeah, Tito's like... A Have you met G. the people that live down here? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I'm in the Balkans, dog. <laughs> <laughs> We're fucked. I'll kill you, man. <laughs> Our entire history is us killing the shit out of each other. Yeah. Like, Remember Vlad the Impaler, folks? Yeah. That's dude. who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tito's just such a G. I love that guy. He's awesome. He but, uh... was He was, He was. was not a slouch, I will say that. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was apparently the only person who could stop the Balkans from genociding each other. Because the second he died, they were like, well, here I go. Sure am genociding each other again. <laughs> what was rev- it? Was, it was, uh, Hi, my name's Crumbopulous Michael. I'm an assassin. <laughs> I buy guns from your grandfather. 
like, well, here I go killing again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. you don't need to just reference other people's jokes, but yeah. the field family uh not the fielding family but the field family was a collection of do-gooder quaker pacifists and noel himself was a utopian communist that had done work with the soviet union before the war so he believed the bolshevik revolution was the start of a world that would one day know no war or greed so he had known dulles since he i.e noel was a young man around world war one and he would eventually work for the OSS while he lived in Switzerland in World War II, but his true loyalties had always been with communism. Mm -hmm. One possible reason, however, for Noel Field being used this way by Dulles was that he had won over a few on Dulles while with the OSS in World War II. And Dulles don't like that shit. Yeah, he doesn't like to have... Yeah, mm -mm. Mm -mm. So, as an agent for the US and a communist, Field was able to place a lot of communists into powerful positions in Eastern Europe during the war while the Allies advanced. Like kind of sort of like advanced scouting and shit like that, and just sure. paving the way for the allies. Um, and this was something that helped pave the way for communism to get such a foothold in these countries and have them become part of the Soviet bloc. Now th he wasn't doing this to get things over on people; it was just he was told to put people in positions, and he chose communists. Sure. And for Dulles, this was a grave personal affront to his own dignity. Uh, fucking narcissist piece of shit. Um, so Hermann, which is Noel's brother, was just a pacifist Quaker, not even a communist. Right. And Hertha shared in Noel's ideals. So Dulles, who had worked with the young Noel and with him as an adult, just saw them as useful pawns, and he fed them to Stalin. So Stalin, again, here at the end, ever willing to fall prey to American plots. This is why I call him a fucking loser, because he did this every fucking time. Always bit the goddamn bait. Um... He started wreaking havoc across Eastern Europe, killing thousands and damaging like the economies of some of his client countries, just tearing them down, looking for these like American spies. Mm -hmm. um, so once Stalin did die in 1953, Erika Wallach was freed and released to the Soviet security forces, who did their best to rectify the evil she underwent. So they offered her money and their apologies. She was brought to East Berlin. She was put on a taxi to the West. Uh, the fields were also released along with Erika. So, Noel and Hertha actually remained in Hungary in the communist bloc. They're like, no, we'll stay right here. Uh, once they were released. And they were compensated in money and medical expenses for their mistreatment, as well as Hermann, who was compensated in money and medical treatment. And so, the agent in charge of this betrayal, the Polish guy, who was Józef Zwiatlo of Poland, he defected to the West after doing Dulles' bidding. Um, and, you know, he was a double agent. Mm-hmm. So Noel himself was more hurt by Dulles' betrayal of him than the suffering by his comrades' hands, and he would dismiss them almost immediately. It was like, there was just a Stalinist aberration. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Wallach would apparently suffer more mistreatment by the U.S. for two years as she was, uh, you know, trying to re-enter the country. They just, you know, tortured her some more. So it's just like, what the fuck, man? Like, these poor people. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, for his part, Zviatlo became a common voice on Radio Free Radio Europe. Radio Free Europe, baby. 
broadcasting his humanitarian messages despite, you know, as when he was an agent, he was known as the butcher for his proclivity <laughs> to torture. That's a dope like, this is, I mean Yeah, I mean, but this is this is, you know, what America means when they say, Oh, free you know, free uh free and open societies, it's humanitarian. It's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's all bullshit. Um yeah. So, you know, other Eastern Europeans at this time could be found in the United States at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Uh, they were being trained by Green Berets in learning how to engage in guerrilla warfare, apparently in hopes of using them in their home countries. Uh, and some elite militias were also being trained in West Germany. Uh, that's just a little uh, foreshadowing for some stuff we'll talk about in the future. Love it. <clears throat> so now let's talk about one of the most famous Americans of this century. Old Tricky Dick. Tricky Dick Nixon. Sorry, it sounded like the cat was trying to open the door. I think she probably was, but... Let the cat in. No. she okay. No, because I've told you before, there's dried flowers in here. She just eats them and then throws them up. It's not like a... She comes in and literally beelines it for the flowers, tries to eat the flowers, <laughs> now, then yeah, throws up. Like, finally, it's not, some good fucking food. Yeah, it's not... It's not... It's There's never... I've tried yeah. it. There's never a change to the routine. She comes in here, she goes straight for the fucking flowers, she knocks the vase off the thing, it never breaks, yep. she's good like that, and then she eats a rose and then throws it all up. And nice. I'm just not, we're, no, we're just not going to do that. Swag. Yeah, she's just not allowed <laughs> in this room, because I'm not getting, I like the flowers, I'm not getting rid yeah. of them. Alright, so, <clears throat> so yeah, so let's bring, uh, bring our attention to uh, Tricky Dick Nixon, old Richard Milhouse Nixon. It, not a crook, by the way. Not a crook. No, 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 no. Very, very. No, very, no, 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 no. Very, very trustworthy. Upstanding, respectable American. Yep. Uh, so Dick Nixon was a Republican from Southern California who had had dreams of working with Dulles for Sullivan and Cromwell. Uh, but out of law school, they saw no use for the West Coast boy as they clung to the Yankees of the Northeast. Hell yeah. These are the WASP Ivy League types like Dulles. They stuck together. So Nixon became a congressman, and the people who brought him to power cautioned him against supporting the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe. But here, ten years later, he found himself with Dulles as this East Coast GOP man convinced Nixon to join him as he had plans to siphon money from the doctrine to execute his clandestine Cold War, much to the chagrin of those who had brought Nixon to power. For those who don't know, the Marshall Plan was the United States' like plan to rebuild Western Europe, spend a shit bunch of money. Uh, and, you know, obviously get a foothold in all those countries. Sure. We're <laughs> yeah. going to get to build some military bases. We're yeah. going to get... It wasn't free money. Yeah. It never is. Yeah, for America, they were like... We're going to do it's this. It's free real estate. It's our decision, but also, what are yeah. we going to get? Yeah. We got it's a problem? free real estate. <laughs> we saved you. Remember when we saved you? What are we going to hey. get? Well, you, uh, you're not... Uh, you don't want to be my friend? We're going to put you some You want to be my friend then? then. Listen... One day, I might come to you asking you for a favor. Okay, but and today, that day may never come. And that day may never come. It's, come. it's gonna come. That day may but, never come. I understand you from paradise in America. <laughs> yeah, if an honest man such as yourself would make enemies, then they would be my enemies. <laughs> well. Oh man. Anyway, so Nixon's abandoning of his old allies and becoming a powerful tool of Dulles and his kingmaking group was what sealed Nixon's consistent rise in stature and made him such a powerful player and cold warrior. So Nixon would also be used by Dulles and his circle to combat the out-of-control McCarthyism that sought to damage those who had begun the anti-communist crusade as they lost control of their monster. 
So, you know, Dulles and his his circle started, you know, started this anti-communist crusade, and then it kind of got out of hand, and their monster uh, sort of went out of control, you know, with right. McCarthy. And they started to find themselves in, like, the crosshairs. So they, uh, Nixon was kind of like their, you know, the ace in the hole, you know. So, um, <clears throat> the, the first time the two of, you know, Dulles and, uh, uh, Nixon came into contact was actually before this, though. It was in 1945, while Nixon was in the Navy. Uh, he apparently came across some damning documents about Dulles's Nazi collaboration. And Dulles said, you know, in return for keeping quiet, Dulles financed Nixon's first campaign against Jerry Voorhees. Uh, you know, so Nixon was always this huge is his, shrewd. What, gubernatorial campaign? No, no, this is congressional. Wait, so is this it? Which one was first? No, I no, because this was definitely this was definitely a congressional campaign. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, later he would go on to become governor of California, right? Was he? Was, I, I don't. I'm not sure that he Dude, was governor. I, why did I think? No, that? no, no. He was never governor. Are you thinking of Ronald Reagan? I know Ronald Reagan was, but I thought. Yeah, no, Nixon Reagan. wasn't. He was a congressman, then a senator, then vice president, and president. Yeah, because he did them all in order. He was like, uh, I think, well, like one of the only people ever that like just did it in order like that. Oh, he he right? ran for governor but uh, lost. When was this? At, right after he lost to Kennedy. Oh, okay. So when he lost the presidency in that first election, he then unsuccessfully yeah. two years later tried yeah. to run for governor of California. But no, yeah. you're right. I think I was just getting him confused with Ronald Reagan. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, you know, Nixon was always shrewd. So he saw this shit, you know, implicating Dulles as a Nazi collaborator. And he went, I could keep quiet, you know. And Dulles was like, I could make you a good friend, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so um, Dulles financed Nixon's campaign against Jerry Voorhees. Uh, so Voorhees himself was an enemy of Dulles, constantly foiling the banks and oil companies' plans as a new dealer. And he even worked to show how Sullivan and Cromwell collaborated with IG Farben and other Nazi cartels. Mm. Voorhees himself, at least younger in life, was a socialist. Uh, so Nixon handily defeated Jerry Voorhees, who, who would forever leave politics after the brutal campaign that saw him attacked constantly as a communist for his policies, supporting things such as free school lunches. Yeah, what a piece Ain't of shit. Ain't fucking nothing changed, bro. <laughs> yeah, Ain't it's... nothing fucking changed, brother. Mm -hmm. So after an insanely dirty campaign by Nixon, uh, he openly admitted to consistently lying about Voorhees as he wanted to win. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, Unbelievable. Yep. So now, once in office with the support of the Dulles brothers, Nixon would begin a crusade with the House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, or what I like to call HWAC, um, <laughs> as they sought to destroy the entire New Deal framework as some Soviet plot to take over America. Uh, so, it, it, you know, this is really, I think, giving away the game a lot for them. It's like, you know, the New Deal was about uh, making sure that uh, people had jobs uh, that paid them money and that, you know, elderly people could uh, live in dignity. Uh, and retire, you know, that kind of thing. And they were like, this is a Soviet plot to take over America. This is evil, actually. Um, so Nixon was, uh, he was really shrewd. He made all the right moves at the right time with help from the Dulles brothers and uh, while keeping them in their circle clear of the target. So among his targets was New Dealer Alger Hiss, who he successfully argued was a Soviet spy, despite not great evidence of it. Although Hiss was tied to former uh, Communist Party of the USA member and Soviet spy Whitaker Chambers through the, shit you not, 
pumpkin papers, <laughs> which were supposed State Department documents leaked to Chambers by Hiss in the 30s and hidden all this time in a hollowed out pumpkin at Chambers' home Love that it. he produced. Uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, no conclusive evidence was discovered that Hiss had worked with the KGB. So, dope. Fucking the pumpkin papers, baby. Um, so, Huack, Huack would continue their crusade against the old New Dealers still in government or on its periphery. Many of the champions during FDR's tenure as president found themselves under strict observation by the FBI and in the chambers of HUAC answering questions about themselves and their friends and just why exactly they wanted to allow the Soviet Union into the post-war financial order. <coughs> so some of them died right after questioning. Somebody died like right after. Um, and others found themselves in jail due to dubious evidence or were guilty by association with others under dubious evidence. It was really just a dark period of American history. Mm-hmm. In one particularly damning web of events, Nixon had received personal bribes amounting to massive sums of money from a Romanian industrialist named Nicolae Malasha, or I don't, not even gonna yeah, I don't, yeah, bother. Don't need to even. <laughs> yeah, uh, who also had ties to Alan Dulles from the war. Malasha had funded a fascist, anti-Semitic group in Romania named the Iron Guard, that had led a pogrom so heinous it frightened other fascists. <laughs> That's how you know that you've done a bad <laughs> pogrom. Yeah. The other fucking anti-Semites are like, dude, Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> God damn. Cool over there? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so they marched into Bucharest, rounded up thousands of Jews, and massacred them in a slaughterhouse, including hanging them up while still alive on meat hooks. Jesus fuck. And just eviscerating them. So after the Soviet Union drove out the Germans and fascists, Malashah briefly worked with the communists before fleeing to the U.S. Great. So for his role in annihilating the New Deal coalition in Washington, Nixon had made powerful friends and benefactors now committed to continuing his rise. He would find himself winning the vice presidency in 1952 on Dwight D. Eisenhower's ticket. You know, Ike. Ike I, Eisenhower. I like Ike. Fucking we like Ike. Pick. We do not like Ike. That's just <laughs> the buttons. I don't know. He had those famous oh, buttons. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like Ike. <laughs> And now Alan Dulles, then second in command at the CIA, was ready to step into the top role and usher in the Dulles Imperium. Yeah. I don't even know why you needed to change it. You already read it. Yeah, it was. It was for my own. Right. Because do you keep these and reread them? No, no, God, no. Jesus <laughs> then, Christ. Then, no. What, then what? Okay. Fair I don't know, dude. Just listen. Let me be a fucking freak on my own, okay? All right. That's I fair. worked a lot today. Don't. Yeah. Oh, 13 hours. That's right. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> our hardworking American man. Our big, our big strong boy. Yeah. Our big, strong laborer. Yeah. <laughs> Strong as an aurochs, man. Absolutely. 
<laughs> Fucking Freddy is an Orox too. Okay, okay. Hey, hey, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, man. Whoa, listen, okay, okay man. friends, we, we we hype each other up. Okay, you are a beautiful boy. Yeah. And I'm sorry I said what I said. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Make Jeff say it too. Uh, I I don't have any way of reaching out to Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> okay. He and I are not in contact. Okay, Jeff is not yeah. affiliated. Just by with email, the and you know how slow that can be. Yeah, that's fucking yeah. Oh, he sent me that ad by Telegram. <laughs> yeah, I, it was uh, Pony yeah, one of those uh, singing uh, singing telegrams. <laughs> Dear sir or madam, stop. <laughs> you have been <laughs> formally requested to read this ad on your radio program. Stop. Stop. <laughs> um, all right, so anyway, I'd like to uh, double back, though, and get back into those Italian elections. I'll bet. Uh, from 1940. Wait. <laughs> 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 There's one thing my boy likes, it's Italian elections. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Get me fucking rock hard, man. man. <laughs> I'm going to have to sit like, down and have myself a shvulliadella. Well, yeah, dude, I got the shvulliadella on my pants, dude. <laughs> All right. Fucking, let's get to it. Okay, yeah, so anyway, uh, I want to look at them in more detail. Love this it. was really, honestly, what the fuck, bro? What <laughs> are the first I'm just uh, six- your balls. I, I, they're considered them busted, dude. Fucking pop like grapes. Uh, so it was a uh, one of the. <laughs> Can I? Okay. <laughs> Refocus. Um. So it was one of the first successful regime change style operations carried out by the nascent American intelligence apparatus. Uh. Who? Um. So Tom Clark, American Attorney General, declared in 1948. <laughs> I can just see. I'm sorry, dude. I'm trying. I don't know Turning why I'm red. laughing now. I just am. I'm listening. I'm not. I, I'm even keeping quiet. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Tom Clark. Let's talk about him. Uh, so he so was we're American... actually doing this. <laughs> Uh, so he was an American Attorney General declared, uh, and he declared in 1948 that those who do not believe in the ideology of the United States shall. What the... Dude, I'm sorry. I don't know what. You start giggling, and then I start giggling. <laughs> like, I'm trying to read it. I can see out of the corner of my eye. You're just red head. Dude, I'm trying. Shaking. I'm trying not to. Um... Even I'm not even making noise until you start. Once you laugh, then I'm fucking laughing. Yeah, but uh, out of the corner of my eye, I just see <laughs> the reddest face you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> just like a vein in your forehead. My head just looks like a kid's first hard on. Like it's just like. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, that was another thing. My dad uh, said that he, he he doesn't listen that often because uh, we talk too much about jerking off on the show. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry. Sorry, uh, Cam's dad. Yeah. Me too, Cam's dad. I'm sorry. Mr. Cam's dad. Mr. Yeah. Cam's dad. I also apologize. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, whew, so Tom Clark, American <laughs> Attorney General, declared in 1948 that those who do not believe in the ideology of the United States shall not be allowed to stay in the United States. If you don't like it, leave. Yeah, if you don't fucking like it, you can leave. Why don't you go somewhere else then, hippie? Yep. Yep. Uh, so this included Italians who would not be allowed to emigrate to or enter the U.S. Again, I'm not seeing any problems. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this all sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This was one of the tactics used in 1948 to influence the Italian elections. Um, even being a socialist meant it was illegal to come to the United States. <laughs> Uh, so now the the U.S. was scared of Italy falling into the Soviet bloc. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, yeah. but communism had made its way as far west as East Germany, the Czechoslovak Republic, Hungary, and Yugoslavia, all just near the border of Italy. Mm-hmm. So the Americans were convinced that if the revolution spread into Italy, it would start a chain reaction covering the rest of Western Europe. For them, this must be stopped at all costs. Mm-hmm. So two years prior, the Communist Party of Italy, uh, the PCI, and the Socialist Party of Italy, the PSI, had together garnered more votes and more seats in the Constituent Assembly than any other party. But since they were in separate tickets, they had to share the government with the Christian Democrats, the DC, who held the premiership. Um, <clears throat> so the two socialist parties had to settle for ministerial positions. Uh, so, for 1948, the two parties came together under the Popular Democratic Front, the FTP, and won municipal elections in Pescara in February with a huge increase in support from two years ago, with the Christian Democrats dropping well behind them. So, this was too much. This was too, too fucked up for the Truman uh, administration to even think about. Right. And so, the machines of capital were put into full gear to stop the communists from gaining any more power and potentially losing Italy to the Soviet bloc. Uh, so it is in this framing that the American bullshit really comes out. The communists were working democratically, and the most fervent anti-fascists on the right were made up of... <coughs> I'm sorry, uh, sorry. Let's start that again. It is in this framing that the American bullshit really comes out. The communists were working democratically and the most fervent anti-fascists during the war, and they were gaining popular support. While the Christian Democrats and others on the right were made up of, quote, unreconstructed fascists... They were monarchists, and they were fascist collaborators. None of those really seemed that democratic. Yeah. And yet, to the American propaganda machine, the DC was the party of freedom and democracy, while the FDP was called totalitarian and advocating for dictatorship. They were the ones winning the elections. Right. Uh, So, an event occurred in Czechoslovakia in 1948, wherein the non-communist ministers of the cabinet in the country boycotted meetings over disagreements with the communist government, and so the communists dissolved the coalition cabinet and took sole power. This was commonly warned by the U.S. and its Italian allies uh, towards others at what would happen in the government in communist control. However, one year prior, Italian Prime Minister Alcide de Gasperi had visited the U.S. to ask for funds to help rebuild his country. When he returned, he, out of nowhere, dissolved his cabinet to purge the communists and socialists. And then he rebuilt it, but eventually had to include... um, uh, He eventually had to include communists and socialists, just not in the key positions they once held. Seems quite obvious that a quid pro quo was given by the U.S. Uh, So this was proven when aid was once again frozen for months until leftists were completely purged from the government. And once he did that, handsome rewards started flowing in. And the country's $1 billion debt to the U.S. was just canceled. Yeah, forgiven. Almost like it was a form of payment. (coughs) Yeah. For for goods or services We will give you all the money you want if you... Uh, just get rid of the people who want to make sure uh, you know that um, the resources of Italy are for the Italians. Now, a lot of people think that this is all related to this whole business we've been talking about, but in reality, that's when the U.S. experienced the Great 
tomato sauce inundation of 1949. We yeah. got so much sauce in the deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Listen fucking. here, Italy. Okay? You drive a hard bargain. But we can cancel that debt. Yeah. But we're going to need some they called fucking it, sauce. They called it the Great Gravy Train of 1949. <laughs> <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Um, so something similar happened in France. Uh-huh where Prime Minister Ramadier had to oust communists from his government, and he was quoted as saying, a little of our independence is departing from us with each loan we obtain from the U.S. Damn. So, this takes us to the Italian election in 1948, where with one month to go, the FTP was on the verge of taking total control of the government, and Time magazine called this the brink of catastrophe. So a huge, a little fucking you know, histrionic there, time. The yeah, so huge, a huge letter-writing campaign began with over 10 million pieces of mail in one month flowing into Italy Jesus. from the U.S., many of them pre-written and just needing to be signed by Americans of Italian descent to their family back home. At this time, like, <coughs> like 15% of Italians claim to have, like, American relatives. Right. It's a pretty big fucking part of the yeah. population. Um, so, um, this was done from a covert group calling itself, here we go again, dude, spook alarms Love it. going right here. We're going to need them again. So, yep, the Committee to Aid Democracy in Italy. That sounds totally, and, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, any Committee to Aid Democracy is just trying to kill the ever-loving fuck out of anybody who wants to do left shit. Yeah. Um, so special, quote, freedom flights were inaugurated <laughs> to send the mail. Fucking freedom fries, bro. Yeah. So the letters, this shit's been going on for decades. We got freedom so, raviolis over here. Yeah. We're air dropping yeah. them out of planes. Yep. Uh, so the letters intimated that another world war would happen if Italy voted communist. And that the country would be destroyed and all aid to rebuild the country cut off. Broadcasts were sent into the country by the U.S. explicitly stating that voting communists would not be tolerated in the U.S. Wild Bill Do- Do- uh, Donovan, the guy who made the OSS in World Wild War II. Wild Bill, that's right. Yep. So he gave broadcast saying Russia would ship workers from Italy into the Soviet heartland for forced labor. Like, this Jesus. was just happening to... to Keep in mind, when people shit their pants about Russian interference in our elections, they're right. fucking straight up <coughs> saying in broadcast, oh, you will be a slave. Yeah. <laughs> to Russia. Fucking Russia. It's always Russia. Um, I mean, and honestly, like, I'd be a slave in Russia. That sounds great. Yeah. Straight to Gulag. Yeah. Fuck like, hey, I, joke's my, on you. I fucking love Gulag. That's my wet dream, bro. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy being dominated. I'm a dom. <laughs> <laughs> so broadcast into the country described the communists as Muscovite fifth columns, hoping to break apart the friendship between Italy and America. Anti-Soviet propaganda films were broadcast. Uh, so then the UK and the US begin to anchor warships off the coast of Italy. Always a good sign. <laughs> yeah. This is always a good sign. And Truman, at the same time, was accusing the Soviet Union of plotting to subjugate Western Europe. Right. As the UK and US were mooring warships in their fucking ports. Well, yeah, because they've already subjugated Western Europe. And they yeah, don't yeah. want someone to unsubjugate. No, this is our su- these are our subjects. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's And that's all yeah. it is. So military conscription and universal military training was also called for to stop the communist threat in the U.S. Yeah. They were talking about uh, restarting con- uh, pres- uh, conscription with no war going on. That rules. So I'm a, quote, with it. F- 
friendship train toured the U.S. to gather gifts and then went to Italy to distribute them. Uh, the U.S. engaged in diplomatic games to force the Soviet Union into unfavorable situations that would anger Italians, including over the free city of Trieste, a situation delicate to both Italy and Yugoslavia. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the funny things about this is if you read any of the primary source shit from the Soviet Union at the time, they're all just like, dude, what the fuck can we do to make the U.S. not think that we're fucking with them? Yeah. Or to make them not think that we're trying to do stuff because they were mortified. But I, like, as we've talked about, the Soviet Union lost like 25 million people in World War II. Yeah. They were in no fucking position to, to fight a war. Right. They were desperately trying to rebuild. And, you know, the... It's like, uh, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. How do we convince the guys, these guys that we don't want their lunch? They anymore? were our allies. Like, yeah. so they were just, like, giving shit to the U.S. And the U.S. was like, give us more. <laughs> like, yeah. you know Give what us I mean? so much that you collapse. How's that yeah. sound? Anything short of that? Yeah, we're still going to spread these rumors. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so Italian newspapers sympathetic to the U.S. began to unmask published letters from prominent Americans urging Italians not to vote communist. The OSS and the Mafia in Italy had worked together to stem the tide of communists and the labor unions in Sicily, and then as they spread into Italy proper in 1945, and the CIA continued to subsidize the labor unions in Italy using these methods and lines developed from that time. On top of tens of millions in aid from America, the CIA personally contributed anywhere from 1 million to 10 million to non-communist parties. America also began shipping massive amounts of food to Italy with the message that America was saving Italy from starvation, chaos, and possible domination from outside. Mm. So remember the Truman Doctrine of 1947? The U.S. pledged, quote, to support free peoples who are resisting attempted subjugation by armed minorities or by outside pressures. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Black Americans at this time weren't even free people in their yeah, own country. Yeah, right. They were still... They weren't even second fucking class citizens. Yeah, they were They were, They were. were being systematically repressed on, like, a just an insane scale. Yeah, it was an apartheid country. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, the U.S. was an apartheid state at this point. Still. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some in the U.S. even decried these policies, including the Italian-American Committee for Free Elections in Italy and the Progressive Party, led by Henry Wallace, who wanted legitimate detente. So as for Soviet influence, the FDP was outspent by seven and a half times on propaganda from all other parties, with the D.C. itself spending more than four times as much, just alone. Yeah. At first, the Soviets did some feeble work, releasing war prisoners and sending out some newsprint, but they were actually apprehensive even at the FDP winning. They were scared of, that the FDP would win right. because they didn't want to antagonize the West. In a letter to Josip Broz Tito, this was before the falling out, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he was the leader of Yugoslavia, <clears throat> the Soviets actually reprimanded him because they thought that he was antagonizing the situation. They said it should have been known that the USSR, after such a heavy war, could not start a new one. You know, so they believed that, that Yugoslavia was trying to get the Soviets involved in Italy. So at the end of the day, the DC would win 48% of the vote, with the FTP winning only 31 They were destroyed. And what would follow over the coming decades in Italy would show who the real scheming foreign powers, hoping to utilize another country for its own aims, was. The Italian years of lead and Operation Gladio were uh, were still to come as America would unleash terror across the countryside.
smokes, man. Yeah. The Italian job. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Wahlberg, Jason Statham. Was Jason Statham in the Italian job? I don't know. I've never seen that fucking movie. (laughs) I remember liking it when I was like 13, but I I bet you I wouldn't now. Um, yeah, man, we're, I mean, we're fucked. We're, we're not a good group of people over here. We're, we're some bad people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we come from a long line. We're some bad hombres. Uh, we come from a long line of bad people over here, and we've been doing yeah. a lot of fuck shit over in Europe for time immemorial. We did bad things in the ninth, in the 18th century, did bad things in 19th century for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. 20th century, bad things. 21st century, guess what? Still bad. We're working on some Still bad, bad things. brother. We got a few bad things in our, in our back pocket right now. Yeah. <laughs> Still if you think that it. we're not doing bad at this very second, you best believe that we've been doing bad. But luckily, we were able to uh, uh, ensure an, an Italy that would still be economically depressed in 2021. Uh, <laughs> but at least they had a, uh, a fucking porno filmmaker as their president. So, you know, yeah. hey, freedom, dude. Yep. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Fucking unbelievable, man. <laughs> yeah. Lots changed in Italy since uh, since Tiberius. Name drop. Go back and listen. Oh yeah, woo, dude. Going back to the single digits. Yeah, I know, dude. I want to do another Rome episode. Yeah, me too. I've been thinking about it. Yeah. I think like because I don't know. We've been doing so much like modern history, even with the ones that are like fun, like when we just did Gigi Allen. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, thank you guys for listening to that. Uh, yep. I think it would be really fun to do another ancient history episode. I would fucking love to. Yeah, we should do it. I mean, the oldest I've done recently was Vlad, which is like medieval. Yeah. And medieval's fine, but I'm an ancient history That's the oldest in general that we have recently, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the oldest. In the last 20 episodes or so, I would say, we've stuck almost exclusively to like the furthest back we've gone is like maybe 19th century. Yeah, Um, definitely. But yeah, other than that, we've been like pretty much exclusively like a modern history podcast. So yeah, let's go. But let's go back to our roots. Let's go back. Dude. Yeah. I love that shit. I love this shit yeah. too, but I love that shit. Yeah. Time to do a little uh little old stuff. Yeah. Rome. 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 <laughs> um this was great. I've I, I find a lot of this spook stuff like really yeah. hard to keep on top of. All yeah. these storylines are so meandering and they're so like complex. <laughs> I could never be a spy. I think that's what yeah, I've learned. So- like, yeah, so so one thing I do want to do, uh, so for this episode, I, I've done this, I think, for all of these ones, but for sure. this episode, my main sources were uh, The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot mm-hmm. and um, Killing Hope by William Blum. I, did, I brought in some other things, too, you know, just online, some smaller yeah. things, but those are the two big ones. But yeah, no, with all with all this, like, the spy shit, all this, like, power politics, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really crazy, because then you... Like, at, at the expense of me, or maybe, hopefully, I don't sound like, you know, some kind of fucking loon, uh, like QAnon loon, but you really do, like, start to see these threads yeah. where shit, like, it's just such clear patterns and things, and you can almost, like, predict shit that will happen the next a lot when you're reading this, you know? Like, you just start seeing, like, all of these, like, very, like, clear sort of uh, patterns. Yeah, of... I mean, this this has Moloch written all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some owl shit going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But not, but I mean, you know, for real, you know, it, it's it's very interesting, uh, just getting it, you know, reading like a bunch of books about it and stuff like that, and yeah. then you can see different takes, you know, uh, some some people that you know, there's like I have this book, um, where it's like the dude like clearly doesn't get it that like this is the goal that like that the CIA isn't inept, they're intentionally appear inept right. so that you know you know it's like Sun Tzu shit, you know, when you're yeah. strong, appear weak, <laughs> um, and like you know. 
So I, I do like getting to like those different takes of it too. Yeah, I think and like rules. even like David Talbot, you know, that dude is very not a communist <laughs> or a socialist. He's got a lot of bad things to say about it, but you know, but then you know William Blum, he's very seems very pro pro socialism. So yeah, yeah, it it definitely seems like you were able to capture like a pretty well rounded um, set of source yeah. material. It's like I think that's the best way to do it too. Is yeah, I mean, yeah, if you know your author's bias. Then it, it gives you, like, it makes it much easier to, like, you know, really parse out yeah. what you need to, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you. I liked it. Yeah. I am yeah, going to have to re-listen to it probably two more times to fully grasp what the <laughs> fuck we were talking about. Because I, I, <laughs> I go cross-eyed whenever whenever you do these CIA episodes. It's just, like, so much for my stupid little brain to follow. Yeah. I don't understand how people made this their careers. Like, someone like Alan Dulles, who just, like... Yeah ate shit and breathed this 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 stuff just like all yeah day it was like the only thing that guy's dick hard right and it's just like how man like fuck don't don't you ever want to like just kind of lay on the couch and, like watch a movie yeah, bro like i know i do <laughs> yeah i fucking love that shit though. unbelievable yeah <laughs> um cool well i don't have anything to add I, no no oh uh, yeah was... so i mean just the normal plugs uh please follow us on twitter sure. instagram people have been doing that so that's nice uh keep telling your friends your family your co-workers about us seems like a lot of people have been doing that lately and it's uh it makes us feel good mm -hmm. and uh the more people you tell the bigger we get the more content we can make oh i get uh, so you know. big when you tell people yeah oh yeah personally yeah, it's, yeah fucking yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> but anyway yeah uh so i'm evan uh joined I'm by my co-host cam yeah that's me not jeff <laughs> Not uh, never been Jeff. I uh, I don't know why Evan keeps uh, harping on this, but I've actually never met Jeff. This Jeff so. fellow. Yeah. Yeah. Never met him. Yep. So. But yeah, so thanks for tuning in, and we will uh, see you next time. We sure will. You guys have yourselves a fine day. Freezing cold in Einstein, years old. You're the cold maze, say one. Freezing cold in Einstein, years old. All right. Go with me.
land of chisel number top hall had to contain the left face to go. We can see and in the stand and the shoes are coming in. This is two of the cars that love before one of the guys to stay. Hi, hi, smile, chest, let hey, the hills still go and breathe up. Hi. Oh, that's me, but I've actually liked it, yo.